0: But I think we've all been there, not necessarily in that exact situation, but we've all been there thinking there just has to be an easier way to get this done, or even saying, isn't there an easier way? Uh, I I told my congregation, coming up with a sermon is kind of that way for me. Every time I think, there has got to be an easier way. I, I remember Pastor Ryan and I, when he was here, we would meet every so often to talk about sermons. And, and he would just read a passage, and it was like, pfft, there it is. He's got his sermon. And for me, it takes a week where I'm wrestling with it and anguishing over it and thinking, oh, Lord, isn't there an easier way? Uh, can't you just like, beam it down into my brain? And, and then eventually, God helps me, and, and I, I just have to go through the hard work of wrestling with the text all week. And, and I think, there's just got to be an easier way. Well, Strange transition, but we're going to read from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 8, verses 31 through chapter 9, verse 1. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there with me, and if not, it's on the screens. Mark, chapter 8, verse 31. He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You don't have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the sake of the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. And he said to them, Truly I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God has come with power. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Well, Peter has, has uh, I think, been, been thinking to himself as Jesus predicts his death, there's got to be an easier way. There's got to be a better way than this. After all, prior to this passage, Peter has made a good confession. A right confession. Jesus asked the disciples, who do people say that I am? They said, well, some say prophet, some say Elijah, some say John the Baptist. And then Jesus asks them a question, which is a, really a question that we all are asked. Jesus says, but who do you say that I am? And, and Peter, not a shy one, he, he responds, you are the Messiah, for you alone have the words of life. And he's right. He's exactly right. But then, fast forward a little bit to this passage we just read, and Jesus tells them that, yes, he as Messiah, he as Messiah, is going to die. And Peter is like, hold on a second. That is not what I confessed. That, that is not what I said. I, I said, you're the Messiah. Did you forget this? I, I said, that that's who you are. Not not someone who's going to die, and, and so Peter he, he's like, Wait, wait a second, that, that's not what I meant. That is not at all what I meant because Peter has in mind the current order of things, Peter can only see things as they are. And so, for Peter, when he confesses that Jesus is the Messiah, he, he's G, I, this might be news to some of you, but Jesus isn't the first Messiah now hear me, st- stick with me, there had been many so-called messiahs who had come for the people of Israel. And, and a better translation of the text here is, you, you are the Christ, which is way different than these messiahs who had come before. And so, But Peter, he's, he's seeing and understanding this as, you are the messiah in terms of how I've seen previous messiahs, how I understand the ways of the world to work. And so he understands Jesus to be a revolutionary of sorts, that you're a Messiah who, like the other Messiahs who have come, you're going to fight against the Romans. Uh, you're going to try to expel them from our area and, and that restore the temple to all of its glory. And and so Peter's understanding Jesus in in, in sort of revolutionary terms, uh, but he's also understanding Jesus as a a restorer uh, of of order, I guess. And in part, he's right, but uh, he, he's also understanding Jesus as Messiah of getting rid of the traitorous tax collectors. There were tax collectors in, in their region who didn't collect taxes for, for Israel or, or, or Judah. Or, uh, they, they collected taxes for Rome. And not only did they collect taxes for the enemy, but they padded their own pockets by charging extra uh, to make themselves wealthy. And so Peter's understanding Jesus as Messiah who, who's come to get rid of the Romans and, and the oppressors. He's come to, to get rid of these tax collectors who are traitorous. And he's come to expand the nation's territory through military conquest because that's just what good leaders do. And he's, he's come to create a booming economy uh, that'll make us the economic powerhouse of the region because that's what everyone always wants, right? And so Peter, he can only understand or only see Jesus, the Messiah, in terms of systems that already exist, in terms of structures that are already in place. And so for Peter, the the Messiah fits the the models and the systems that are already there. And last week, Pastor Tanner didn't go into too much depth on this, but he he mentioned the yeast of Herod. And and it's the yeast of the Pharisees, the yeast of Herod, and Jesus tells the disciples, be on your guard, Uh, watch out. Uh, don't let the, the yeast of the Pharisees or the yeast of Herod uh, take root or, or, or rise up within you. And, and so this yeast of, of Herod is really at work here as Peter rebukes Jesus because Herod is in a lot of ways representative of the systems that are already in place, those power dynamics that crush the lowly, uh, the, the grabs for, for more honor and authority. And, and as an example, uh, you may know this story, you may not, but Herod had a birthday party and everyone was drinking to excess and his, his stepdaughter comes in and she dances for the people there and it says, the scripture says, everyone was pleased. I'm not going to explain that, I'll leave that to your imaginations, but everyone was, was pleased and, and Herod is so pleased that he says, I'll, I'll give you anything you ask for up to half of my kingdom. And so his stepdaughter goes to her mom and says, what should I ask for? And his, her mom hated John the Baptist because John the Baptist had told Herod that this marriage was, was not right. And so she said, I want John, the, ask for John the Baptist's head on a platter. So the stepdaughter goes back in and says, give me John the Baptist's head on a platter. And, and, and Herod grants the request. Now, I don't think that Herod really wanted to do that because we're told that he enjoyed listening to John the Baptist. Not that he followed what John the Baptist said, but he enjoyed listening to him. Uh, But he grants the request because he has to preserve his own honor. There's all these guests there, and he's made this promise, I'll give you anything you ask for up to half of my kingdom. And so he can't go back on his word, even though it means murdering someone who doesn't deserve it. and then there's all the rest of what's going on in that situation. But Herod represents this self-lifting self, self uh, lifting up. Herod represents these systems that are in place where you grab for power, where your own honor is to be built upon by any means necessary, rather than making yourself a servant of others, rather than laying down your life for others. Herod's yeast, it, 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 it's working through It's the the same yeast of the kingdoms of the world, working through everything. And here's Peter rebuking Jesus because he can only understand the systems that are in place, the the power dynamics that are at play, and he just expects that Jesus will fit into those. Well, Jesus, there's a lot of rebuking going on in this passage. Uh, Peter rebukes Jesus, and then Jesus rebukes Peter and he says to him some really startling words. He says to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. And I, I preached a sermon a while ago where I, I said, you know, Peter, one minute blessed because he's made this right confession, and the next minute the devil. And, and what's going on here? Blessed to the devil in a matter of, it seems like, minutes. And, and and Peter, Jesus isn't calling him literally Satan, or even saying that he's somehow possessed by Satan, uh, but instead, uh, Satan can be translated in a, a number of ways. Sometimes it's accuser uh, or, or tempter. And so, what he's saying to Peter is, "Get behind me, you tempter! Get behind me, you tempter!" Because in, in Peter's rebuke of Jesus, he, he's tempting Jesus to turn back. Don't don't go to Jerusalem. Don't, you don't need to die. There's got to be an easier way than that. You don't need to go and die. Just turn around. Let's go back. And, and, and so Peter is tempting Jesus to really leave the way of the cross, to, to not go through with it, but instead to go back to those things that are already in place, the, the things that Herod does, the things that, that those revolutionaries had done before, power grabs, military might. Do those things, Jesus, but don't go to the cross. And so Jesus says, get, get behind me, you tempter. You don't have in mind the things of God. And this is me translating a little bit or paraphrasing. You don't have in mind the things of God. You only understand things in the systems and structures that are already there. You only have in mind the things of man. Well, the temptation for Jesus here is real. And I think sometimes we discount that. Was Jesus really tempted? Yeah. Yes. I mean, do you think Jesus wanted to go to the cross? If you read the the account of the crucifixion, there is agony. There is desperation for God the Father to come near. Uh, Jesus didn't want to do that. There's temptation to turn back and and take power for yourself. And and we see these temptations when Jesus was in the wilderness uh, previously, when the, the, the devil or the tempter the accuser comes to him and, and he says to Jesus and again this is like super condensed version but he says turn these these stones into bread and the it's not like the wilderness was a jungle or or something like that there's stones everywhere. And so the, the tempter is saying to Jesus, see all these stones, Like, look how much you could do for yourself. Look how much bread you could create for yourself. Maybe even, look how much bread you could make and give to everyone else so that they'll follow you. And, and in this temptation, there, there's the, the real temptation of be the source of your own provision. You don't need to trust that God will provide for you. Provide for yourself. You can do it. And, and then a, another temptation was... Uh, Up on a high place, the the tempter says, Look at at all the kingdoms of the world. Bow down and worship me, and I'll give them all to you. And and the temptation there is power, authority. Just grab it for yourself. It can be yours if you want it. You can have it all. Boy, isn't that a temptation? Because how often do we want it all? And then the third one, up on the, the pinnacle of the temple, the high point of the temple... Throw yourself off. I mean, doesn't it say in the scriptures that God will command 10,000 angels, uh, armies of angels, to, to rescue you? What's the temptation there? Can you really trust God? Which in truth is the overarching temptation throughout these. Can you really trust God? Again, as Peter rebukes Jesus, the temptation is, can you really trust God? Death? That's, that's a little dramatic, don't you think? It's so a little far, don't you think? Uh, just let's go back. Let's turn around. Let's, let's go back to what we know. Because for Peter, there's a question of, I, I'm not so sure we can trust a dying Messiah. Well, I want Peter, Peter's saying there, there's got to be an easier way. There has just got to be an easier way to do this. And Jesus tells him, and tells the other disciples, and tells us, no, the way is the way of the cross. There's not an easier way. It is the way of the cross. And I want to read again verses 34 through 38. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. whoever wants to save their life will lose it, But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. Well, there's a a call there. Jesus is calling us to take up our cross and follow. It's not, and hear me, it is not a call to give bits and pieces of our life to Jesus. It's not a call to just keep living as we've been living and make a little bit of room for Jesus to come into our lives. That's not the call that Jesus gives. Just take up your cross and follow me isn't about making a little bit of space for Jesus in our lives or fitting Jesus into our already existing lives. It is to die with Christ and be raised to life with Christ. It is to, to put to death the old ways and rise to life in the kingdom of God. And the call to take up our cross is to follow Jesus and, and to be totally changed, to be transformed. Jesus, With Jesus in resurrection and as Jesus is reordering life and, and all of creation. And so we've We've been in this season of Lent, which means that we've been on this journey to the cross. We've been journeying together towards the cross. And could I just put a little plug in here? It is so important for us to, to attend a Good Friday. Now, I don't. you may not be able to make it here uh, on Fr- Good Friday, but that is such a vital part of this season, that we would remember the, the death of Jesus and not just Fast forward to Easter, so I want to encourage you, if you can, to be here, uh, because we really have been journeying towards the cross in anticipation of resurrection, but we've been journeying towards the cross together, Uh, and so on Ash Wednesday, we marked ourselves with with ashes, uh, signifying our mortality, that we will all die, and we've fasted and we've lamented. Specifically, we've been lamenting all that is wrong in the world. We've been lamenting that death and the death-dealing forces exist and are at work. We've lamented the heartaches that exist, especially the heartaches associated with COVID and all the loss that goes with it. We've lamented the destruction of war, the oppression of people, the destructive nature of hate, uh, the, the way sin deals death and destruction in our world. We lament all that destroys and breaks God's good creation. We've been lamenting that the current order of things is broken. And yet, like Peter, we we hear Jesus talking about death and taking up our cross. And and whether we think it or not, oftentimes the way we live says there's got to be an easier way. Certainly there's an easier way than taking up this instrument of death and following Jesus. Certainly there's an easier way. Let's just go back to the way things were. And, and Pastor Tanner, if you haven't watched the online devotions, the midweek devotions, the first week, uh, he gave just such a, a good reminder that as Israel, uh, the people of God, were brought out of Egypt, and they're in the wilderness, which is the land between places. It's the land between Egypt, and it's the land between the the promised land, and they're journeying through that. The temptation again, and again, and again, was let's just go back, because the future is uncertain. Can God, is God really going to take us to the promised land? And we are hungry, Uh, and we like meat, and they had meat in Egypt, so let's go back to Egypt, where it was terrible, but At least we knew the terrible that we lived in. And so there's that temptation to just go back. It's terrible. It's awful. But we've known it. So let's just stick with that. Instead of journeying with God through the wilderness towards the promised land, which dare I say is new creation. New creation. I'm getting off on a tangent here, but it's too good. Uh, New creation. In the Gospel of Mark, if you read it, Jesus is really leading the people on a new exodus. It's a new exodus that is at work, and Jesus is gathering the people, taking them through the wilderness towards the promised land, which is new creation. I can't emphasize that enough. Jesus is taking us on a new exodus towards the promised land, which is the new creation, the kingdom of God. Come here among us and coming in its fullness at Christ's return. That's good news. And I don't know where I'm at now, but uh, we lamented. We, like Peter, we often think, let's just go back. Let, let's stick with what we know, the, the systems, uh, and even if they're oppressive, the systems that we know. And, and not to get too down on, on certain theologies, but I'm going to. It's like the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel. That's, that's not the gospel. Now, again, we don't, we don't begrudge health. We don't begrudge those who have wealth and use it and steward it properly or, or are prosperous. But... That's not the gospel. That is trying to fit the gospel into our already existing structures and ways of life. Oh, it's just about being healthy and wealthy and prospering. That, that's not it. Jesus, I mean, just read today's scripture. Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me. That doesn't sound, very, that doesn't sound like a promise of health. Uh, I could be wrong, but I better just stick to my notes or I'm going to get in trouble this morning. Uh, so this journey with Jesus, where does it end up? It ends up on the cross. Where, where all the destructive, death-dealing forces come to a head. On the cross, all these systems of oppression, all these sinful ways of being, all these things that destroy come to a head on the cross. And what we find is that in Jesus, they're defeated. I was with you a couple weeks ago, and I talked about the, the legion of demons and this herd of pigs. And the, the demons were, were cast into the herd of pigs who rushed down the hillside into the water, which in, in ancient uh, understandings of the way of creation was down there was the realm of the dead. And, and so these, these uh, impure spirits, these demons were, were put right back to where they belong in the realm of the dead. And, and on the cross we're finding, what does Jesus do? He's putting things where they belong. Death dealing forces are gone. Sin doesn't have to be. Uh, Jesus is putting things right. And we know that this is an ongoing work as the kingdom is breaking in among us. But Jesus is putting things where they belong. He's reordering things back into God's good creation. And it is there that Jesus invites us to follow. It's not just following to death, but it's also following into this reordering, recreating work that God is up to. That's what Jesus is doing, Follow to the cross as a means of death to the old order and a welcome into the new kingdom marked by God's love, God's goodness, God's mercy, God's peace. And so Jesus rebukes Peter because Peter has in mind only the old destructive kingdoms, only the old destructive ways of being, But Jesus extends a call to follow him by taking up our cross. And this isn't just a call for minor adjustments where Jesus fits into our already begun way of life. No, this is transformation. And taking up our cross to follow Jesus, we're forsaking all things that ultimately will not survive in the kingdom of God. So you know that, right? There's things that will not survive into the kingdom of God. Uh, The Bible talks about a refiner's fire or or a purifying. And so these death dealing forces do not survive into the kingdom of God. Sin, which is destructive and and, and just corrosive, will not survive into the kingdom of God. Powers and, and systems of oppression and injustice will not survive into the kingdom of God. They won't. But there are things that will. It's not just get rid of it all. There are things that will survive. And so as we're following Jesus, what Jesus is inviting us to is to die to ourselves, put to death those old ways, those old systems and corrosive ways of living, and take up new life with Christ, which is creative, which allows life to spring up, new life to spring up. And I told Hope Church, I said, I could be wrong. I'm not, but I could be wrong. Uh, I, I, I think that good and beautiful and, and, and godly art will continue on into the kingdom of God when it comes in its fullness. I think that music that is good and beautiful and, and God-honoring will continue on into God's kingdom. I, I think that good and beautiful and lovely relationships, uh, while they will be different in some ways, We won't forget that. No, the the goodness of that will continue on into God's new creation. These good things, pure and lovely, honorable, those things will continue into the new creation. But, But here's some more good news for you this morning. We don't have to wait. We don't have to wait because Jesus is calling the disciples. He's calling Peter to live into this new way of being into this new kingdom. Take up your cross and follow me. Take up your cross as we head into this new creation, this reordering of everything back to how it's supposed to be, and live creatively. Live good and godly and beautiful and lovely and loving and forgiving lives. Evidence this new creation even now. And so, in taking up our cross and following Jesus, we're putting to death the destructive things, and we're joining Jesus in this resurrection work, which is already at work among us. And so, do you, do you remember what God created in the beginning? I guess everything would be the answer to that, but I should have thought that through. Uh, but one specific thing was the, the garden, right? God creates a garden, and he places people into the garden. God is creative. God, God creates something that grows. What, uh, this is a bad joke, but my garden, actually it's a true joke, my garden doesn't grow very well at home. It did not do very well last year. Maybe yours flourishes and, and is abundant. And, and in God's creative works, there's this growth, that there's this flourishing, there's abundance, and it, it springs up. Why, did, why do we read that God created a garden and put Adam and Eve in it? Because that's God's creative work. Growth and flourishing and newness springing up all around. And what did he task them with? Tending to the garden. Working for its flourishing. Being fruitful and multiplying. And, and, and there's this good creation of God springing up all around us again and again. And so as Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me. Might we hear, come and die with me. But in that... There's resurrection. Come and garden with me. Come and work for the flourishing of all creation. Put to death the old ways of being and take on the newness of life that is good and flourishes and reproduces and and, and it has no end. Growing kingdom of God things. I'm I'm getting too excited today because I'm losing my voice. My throat's scratchy. (laughs) Growing the kingdom of God. Those things around us. The cross put to death the destructive things of the world. And in Jesus' resurrection, death and resurrection, it leads to the flourishing of God's kingdom. And so we're, we're called, along with Peter, to hear from Jesus. There is a new work that has begun. Don't, don't see things in terms of what's already there. But see things in terms of God's recreative, redemptive, and restorative works that are already begun. Take up your cross and follow me. And I, I borrowed this from a, a sermon resource. But I, I want to I just remind you that the temptation to go back to the old order of things is real. There's just got to be an easier way, is what we so often think. But there's only death there. There's only death in the old ways of being. And there's an old hymn called The Way of the Cross Leads Home by Jesse Pounds. And in it is a line that says, I must needs go home by the way of the cross. There's no other way but this. I shall ne'er get sight of the gates of light if the way of the cross I miss. The way of the cross leads home. The way of the cross leads home. It is sweet to know as I onward go the way of the cross leads home. Well, folks, the way of the cross does lead home, and, and oddly enough, you know, we, we hear, oh, this world's not our home. Somewhat true, but the, the, the truth is this world as it currently is is not our home, but Christ is coming and bringing heaven to earth, recreating and renewing it, And that is our home that we get to live into even now in the already and the not yet kingdom. I'm preaching again and I didn't mean to. Uh, The way of the cross leads home because it's the way of resurrection. No turning back to the old ways. We go with Jesus to death and find that in Christ there is life both now and forevermore. The way of the cross leads home which is breaking in among us even now as Jesus is making all things New. Take up your cross and follow Christ.